From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Hannah Cunningham and I am joined by Sonic Patel. Hi, Hannah. We are your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news and stories. I'd like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. We do this treaty acknowledgement at the start of every episode because our environment is inherently tied to who we are as a society and as individuals. It shapes who we are, and we also shape it. The Indigenous people of Canada have lived here for generations. They formed a connection with the land. As you listen to this episode, we hope you think about your relationship to the land, how it shapes you, and how you affect the environment. For the next two weeks, Terra Informa is taking a deep look at the Canadian Energy Centre, a recently formed corporation funded by the Alberta government seeking to discredit environmental arguments against the Alberta oil and gas industry. In the first episode of this two-part series, we'll talk about what the Canadian Energy Centre is, why it was created, and how it's funded and organized, as well as the staff that are employed by the centre. We'll continue our story next week by talking about the work that the Canadian Energy Centre does and the implications it has for environmental journalism. Hannah and I first started putting this episode together after attending a conference at the University of Alberta, hosted by the Parkland Institute. In one of the sessions, speakers Dave Klimenhega and David Cornier talked about the Canadian Energy Centre and what it meant for Alberta and its connections to populism. Anyway, what I think we'll do is we'll start, uh, we've got a little slideshow talking about the inquiry on the world, uh, which, uh, which kind of deals with the, the known knowns, right, the, the facts that we have access to at this point, and then, and then we'll just get into some uh, speculation, hopefully not too idle, uh, about where this might be going and what it will mean. That was a clip from the talk. We'll be using some of the talk throughout the episode to help us tell the story of how this corporation came into being. You may have heard of the Canadian Energy Centre as the Energy War Room. This is what the organization was originally referred to by the United Conservative Party and their candidate Jason Kenney when it was first discussed on the campaign trail for the 2019 Alberta provincial election. In an effort to appeal to oil sands proponents, Premier candidate Jason Kenney promised to build a war room, the purposes of which he claims to be to rebut the lies of the green left wing. Kenney is referring to years of environmental campaigning against Alberta's oil sands, based on the ecosystem damage of extraction and the fossil fuels produced in many of the ways oil and gas products are used. So here's what we know about the war room. Uh, it's based in Calgary. Uh, it's been given a $30 million budget. The legal headquarters is a Calgary law firm associated with the Conservative Party, the United Conservative Party. Uh, and it's been structured as a private corporation. Environmentalism arguments are more than just rhetoric. As Kenny claims, there have been substantial damages from environmentalism arguments in the form of challenges to the development of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion and oil tanker bans. The need for an energy war room appears to come from a belief that interest groups are using environmentalism arguments to create a coordinated attack on the oil sands. 
The UCP's decision to create the Canadian Energy Centre is based on assumptions that environmental opposition to the oil sands are not accurate and part of a conspiracy to dismantle the Alberta oil and gas sector. This belief is often tied back to research produced by Vivian Krauss, so much so that she was present at the UCP rally where Jason Kenney proposed the creation of the war room. At the event, Kenney praised Krauss for cutting-edge and brave research. Krauss's research identifies a connection between environmental organizations advocating for environmental protection and climate action and funding being provided by American environmental charities, like the Tides Foundation, Rockefeller Brothers Fund, Lead Now, and others. According to Krauss, these organizations use environmentalism to masquerade their true goal of maintaining the American energy market control by landlocking Alberta fossil fuels. Krauss specifically looked into the Tar Sands campaign, a collaboration of several ENGOs to oppose the oil sands. Markham Hislop, an environmental journalist with Energy Media, spoke with several of the groups mentioned by Krauss, finding that American charities donated a small amount of funding and provided minimal direction to the ENGOs, challenging the perception of ENGOs as a coordinated and deliberate effort to target the Alberta oil sands. The members interviewed reported that their strategies were developed by them, not their funders. The Sierra Club showed that less than 10% of their funding came from American funding. Greenpeace revealed that less than 3% of their funding came from American organizations. For many of the organizations, the majority of funding comes from Canadians. Also notable is that the Tar Sands campaign was just one of many environmental efforts to oppose the oil sands. Another logical fallacy that's not acknowledged is the same environmental groups that are opposing Canadian oil and gas projects are also opposing projects in the U.S. and Europe. This is inconsistent with Krauss's suggestion that these groups are trying to specifically target Canadian energy projects. A National Observer report demonstrates that of the national environmental charitable donations worldwide, only a fraction has gone towards Canadian projects. The bulk of funding, over half, actually goes to the United States. Considering that Canada is one of the most energy-intensive nations and producers of fossil fuel, it's strange how little climate funding Canada receives. Major environmental organizations, like Greenpeace, target projects around the world, including in the United States. Just last year, Greenpeace activists were arrested in Texas. Unlike the narrative that Kenny, Krauss, and the oil and gas industry claims, environmentalists are not targeting Alberta for the sake of crippling the province's economy, for the benefit of the American market. Looking at the activities of environmental organizations, they are trying to stop perceived environmentally harmful oil and gas activity, regardless of where it is. Among the major American organizations donating to oil sands opposition, such as the Hewlett Foundation and the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Tar Sands Campaign received less than 2% of total funding from 2009 to 2020. Despite several articles refuting the points in Krauss's research, Oil and gas proponents have relied on her research to discredit environmentalist opposition to the oil sands. The Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers has cited the research in speeches and outreach. Even ExxonMobil, oil and gas mega corporation, claims they are the target of a climate conspiracy by the Rockefeller Foundation. This is the same ExxonMobil that the Rockefeller Foundation has accused of funding research denying climate change. Columnists and oil sand supporters have used the Krauss research to avoid substantially addressing real concerns about environmental harm of oil and gas activity. This research has also encouraged the government to create the Canadian Energy Centre, or the Energy War Room. The Energy War Room is described as having three sections. 
The first is the Rapid Response Unit. The Energy War Room also includes an energy literacy group. The third section is Data and Research, who develop information and data on the Alberta energy sector. So Hannah, one of the things I found interesting in doing this research was the kind of terminology that is in this mandate. So this is a quote from uh, Sonia Savage, who's the Minister of Energy and one of the directors. So the first um, role that we discussed here is rapid response, which quickly responds to misinformation spread through social media. Energy literacy is supposed to educate the public's understanding of the energy sector and help the province take control of its energy story. And finally, data and research, which says reinforcing this story with factual evidence for investors, researchers, and policymakers. So this phrase, help the province take control of its energy story, is a little concerning to me. But just the idea that there's a narrative that may or may not be realistic, but is the story that the province wants to push, seems sort of inconsistent with this idea that like they want to be this institution that spreads truth and, and accuracy. Yeah, I agree. I think that this is totally about taking control of the narrative around the energy sector in Alberta. This reminded me of one part of the talk that we went to at the Populism Conference. During the talk, Dave Cornier brought up a similar example that Tom Olson, who I believe we'll talk about later, he's one of the Canadian Energy Centre slash war room personnel, was involved with some initiatives in his past when he was working for the Stelmac government in the late 2000s. So if you're on Twitter now, listeners might be familiar with the at your Alberta Twitter account. So it's the official Twitter of the Alberta government. And he was talking about back when this your Alberta um, social media presence was first set up. It was this whole campaign to really shift the message around the energy industry and the oil and gas sector in Alberta and how it was very much like a providing the official government line in a very produced way through YouTube videos and social media formats that almost look like news coverage. So this seems like pretty much the same thing. And I think especially now in recent times where things like fake news and just it's really hard for people right now to distinguish between what sources are good for information, what sources are bad for information. No, I agree with you. I think a major challenge with media these days is this idea of like confirmation bias that no matter what you believe, you'll find someone who agrees with you. And if you just pursue that, you're really seeing a very incomplete picture of what the issue is and what facts get excluded. Um, there's a ton of biases that go into any reporting and, you know, including the kind of stuff we do. Yeah, but I think intentionally sort of playing on that to reinforce this narrative is concerning, especially for something that's essentially a government organization. The other kind of piece that I thought was interesting was this data and research component and the way that sentence is structured of reinforcing the story with factual evidence. Like you and I both do research and mm -hmm. part of that process is using the facts to create the story and going the other way is sort of intentionally misleading. It sort of gets you to this point where you're just doing research to kind of confirm what you already know, which isn't what research is for. It's mm -hmm. to explore new ideas. I guess like with us with both research and journalism like mm -hmm. experience, seems to contradict two of the core ethical values that like science and news communication needs to have. You have to be, if you're going to be doing good research, there is such an access of data out there right now and information in this world we live in where if you wanted to cherry pick a fact to quote unquote prove something, I guess, there's a weird roundabout way of doing it. So I think that it's 
yeah, it's really concerning. People can form this misconception that they think is is realistic, that the oil and gas industry doesn't have that much of an environmental impact. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the way that'll filter into, you know, who we elect and the kind of decisions we personally make would have will have significant impact on Alberta's ability to institute any kind of climate action, mm-hmm. especially around the oil sands industry. Yeah. And I guess the final point I want to make just on our end of turn form, we do acknowledge that there is a lot of information that's also against the oil sands. This isn't just um, attempts to make the oil sands look good, but I'm sure you have. I know I have seen overblown claims about environmental damage or um, statements that are factually incorrect in attempts to challenge oil sands. Uh, Personally, I don't really think that's part of this conspiracy to take them down um, Mm -hmm. for market reasons, but Mm -hmm. there is misinformation on both, both sides. And I think part of the challenge of journalism and of research is to understand what your biases are and what biases are affecting the information that you're understanding. Yeah, the way that this mandate is laid out, I think, just makes it very obvious that mm-hmm. biases are out, up, and on the table. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess as media consumers and as journalists, that does make it a little, whether they meant to or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is definitely allowing people to hold them closer to task and be more watchful of them, I think. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the ethical journalism in next week's episode. But let's uh, let's talk about how the Canadian Energy Centre is funded. is funded by the Alberta government. The center operates with $30 million in funding per year, which means that in a four-year UCP term, operating the Canadian Energy Center will cost $120 million. $20 million of this funding comes from an emissions levy placed on high carbon emitters. I think there's a strange irony in taking money from carbon emitters to convince the public that Alberta's highest emitting sector is environmentally friendly. Yeah. Uh, This might affect the purpose of the levy. So from an economics perspective, uh, things like this are designed to encourage uh, high carbon emitting firms to reduce their carbon emissions. But if this money is taken from those corporations, some of which are oil and gas uh, companies, just to advocate and advertise for them, it kind of sends this mixed price signal to these high carbon emitters. Mm -hmm. Should they realistically be reducing their emissions if this corporation is working in their interest to convince the public that their emissions aren't that bad? The remaining $10 million comes from the government's advertising budget. The opposition NDP party and many Albertans have critiqued the Canadian Energy Centre as a publicly funded propaganda machine. So, despite being funded by the Alberta government, the Canadian Energy Centre is established as a private corporation, not a public or government office. As established by the government themselves, the purpose of this decision is to prevent being accountable to the public. The Canadian Energy Centre believes that they need to be a private company to avoid being subject to freedom of information requests, also called FOIP, the Freedom of Information and Protection of Privacy Act. This forces government to provide all information to citizens that request it. This policy provides transparency and forces accountability on the government's part. War Room, uh, the public inquiry into uh, anti-Alberta energy campaigns. Both of these, these initiatives have been structured to kind of block transparency in terms of media or public interest groups who are interested in learning more or trying to get some transparency around these organizations or these initiatives, uh, they're essentially blocked right out out of the start gate. And that's by design. 
Apparently, the Canadian Energy Centre believes they are above needing this kind of oversight. According to War Room proponents, not needing to respond to FORP requests provides a strategic edge over the foreign interests spreading oil sands misinformation. Despite the money coming from the Albertan government, the Albertan people will not know how this money is spent and will have little oversight into how the money is used. The use of government funding comes during a budget when several sectors, including Alberta Health Services and municipal funding, are seeing budget cuts. Municipalities are seeing capital funding reduced $236 million over three years, while major projects are seeing their funding delayed. University funding is also seeing a large reduction, accounted for by allowing higher tuitions to be charged. These funding cuts place the creation of the Canadian Energy Centre in context. For $30 million a year, the province could provide greater funding to sectors like education, health, and municipal services. I don't know about you, but I don't really think this is a responsible use of public money. No, I agree with you. (laughs) Like, it's especially astonishing the many places that the government has cut Mm -hmm. funding from um, in the current budget cycle of necessary services like health and municipal affairs and education. And to see that money go towards this this pseudo-fake journalism corporation trying to mislead, well, maybe not necessarily mislead people, but to spread a specific narrative is i don't know it it's, it, it sounds like dystopian a, it feels like a real like punch in the gut <laughs> mm. yeah <laughs> yeah the lack of transparency on exactly what the canadian energy center is doing or plans to do makes me super uncomfortable especially with it being publicly funded and one of the things that dave clemenhaga brought up in reference to the canadian energy center during the talk and i had to look up this term which I don't know if this is I don't know if this is like a commonly known term so mm-hmm. I don't know if this is like embarrassing for me or not but he stated that lots of what the government is doing surrounding the Canadian Energy Center falls under the definition of a boondoggle so I looked it up and according to Google a boondoggle refers to work or an activity that is wasteful or pointless but gives the appearance of having value the fact that this public money is going into this journalism slash maybe propaganda machine that they, I don't even know if the people who are running it totally know or what it's going to be doing in a time where money's tight for everybody just like feels really bad. Mm -hmm. And also like the idea behind supporting the oil sands sector in general is, is largely economic. It's to do with like keeping jobs in that sector. But I, I do sort of wonder $30 $30 million a year to support what appears to be 8 to 10 people on the staff of the Canadian Energy Centre. Like, if we invested that money in other places, like, how many jobs could we create mm-hmm. with that level of public funding? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how could it improve the economy if we put that towards things like, like transit, which has been shown to have a positive economic impact in mm-hmm. cities, or towards reducing the cuts in um, post-secondary education or health service? Like, mm-hmm. all of these sectors experience pretty or will experience pretty significant job losses because of this budget cycle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we're seeing quite a bit of money going towards this initiative that doesn't really appear to be acting in even the average Albertans' best interests. It's very much just for the support of a specific sector. During the talk, it was also brought up several times that this development of the war room, the Canadian Energy Centre, yeah, it might have been a really good election strategy, but the UCP government seems to be having problems actually putting this thing that they promised into action. 
yeah, I wonder if they'll continue to spin their wheels using public money on getting into like Twitter fights with people and creating advertisements for Alberta's oil and gas industry for the rest of the UCP's term. And then what about after that? The Canadian Energy Centre website now features the individuals employed by the corporation. Selected to operate the centre is Tom Olson, a former UCP candidate who lost in his riding in the 2019 election. Olson has previously served as spokesperson for former Premier Ed Stomach and was also a journalist with the Calgary Herald, where he worked with Dave Klimenhaga. To run the Canadian Energy Centre, Olson receives a salary of nearly $200,000 a year. Joining Olson on the center's staff are eight additional staff. This includes several former journalists with the Calgary Herald. One figure instrumental to the Canadian Energy Center is Claudia Cataneo, a former post-media columnist who designed the center's strategic plan. So one thing that's quite interesting about the staff that makes up the Canadian Energy Center is who isn't present. The staff is almost entirely journalists and content producers. But if you think back to the mandate of the group, one of the roles is to conduct research about environmentalism and the oil and gas industry. But nowhere on this list do we see an environmental scientist, or an ecologist, or a biologist, or an engineer, a geoscientist, or one of the many numerous fields that helps analyze this relationship. Also shockingly lacking is an economist who could speak about the economic impacts of the industry, which is often central to debates about the oil and gas sector. So this doesn't necessarily mean that the Canadian Energy Centre is completely unable to look at these relationships, as the Energy Centre can contract out research activities to consultants. However, the complete lack of an environmental scientist does seem a little worrying for an organization that's designed to communicate the truth about environmentalism and the oil and gas industry. And um, What do you think about that, Hannah? Yeah, I mean, I think that if their job is to be a pro-Alberta oil sands content production machine, then maybe they're equipped for their job. And just to clarify, we don't think that environmental journalists are not smart enough to understand science or yes. that they're un unable to do so. I think um, I think a lot of journal journalists who do fill that role do so quite well. I think there's an absence of good communication from researchers, especially at a university level, to share their research. So there definitely is a gap for people who can take scientific information that like us as researchers are pretty bad about sharing and figure out how to get that to the public. But I, I am just somewhat surprised that a group that focuses on such a specific relationship doesn't appear to be pulled from uh, individuals who have a scientific basis in that. Mm -hmm. um, some, of these, uh, some of the journalists that do work for the Energy Center have been writing about the energy sector for quite a while as part of their respective newspapers, uh, often the Calgary Herald or other post-media uh, publications. But if, if they are trying to produce new and novel research that challenges what a lot of existing research is saying, it's kind of surprising that they're not enlisting the help of these people. I think we'll see over time whether the Canadian Energy Centre is adequately equipped to share information about the environment and the oil sands. Yeah. We're not suggesting that the Energy Centre is inadequate. And uh, us, as well as environmental journalists, we certainly do talk about things that are outside of our very specific fields of mm -hmm. expertise. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly something that's doable. And, um, you know, with, with great researchers, both journalists and academics, there is huge potential to communicate science in a much better way. But I think this discussion about a lack of an environmental scientist or an economist or oil and gas expert does help reframe the role of the Canadian Energy Centre less as a knowledge production machine and more of a, a journalism or PR outlet. Mm -hmm.
The CEC lists Mark Milk as the Executive Director of Research. Mark holds a PhD and is a public policy analyst, author, and columnist with expertise in property rights, taxation and expenditure, Alberta policy, and human rights practices in energy-producing jurisdictions. Mark appears to be one of the people on the team with academic research experience, but it's not exactly in the field of environmentalism. Olson made a statement in January 2020 stating that research and data will be posted as resources and will be peer-reviewed. But what exactly is a peer review for a PR organization? It's unclear whether this means that the research will be reviewed by academic and private researchers in the relevant fields. In the realm of academia, articles to be published are reviewed by other prominent researchers in that field. So for example, restoration science papers would be reviewed by other restoration scientists. These peer reviewers assess things like methods, theories, and the validity of the findings. So whether this research that the CEC produces will stand up to the scrutiny, as Olson stated, remains to be seen. Dave Cornier and Dave Klimenhaga spent some time discussing who wanted to be part of the war room at the Parkland conference. The two speakers discussed how Postmedia lobbied for a position in the energy war room. For listeners unfamiliar, Postmedia is a media conglomerate, owning numerous newspapers across the country. At Edmonton, the company owns the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun. At the national level, the company also owns the National Post. So while it might be strange that a media corporation was interested in working for the government, Cornier and Klimenhaga believe that Postmedia is looking for new revenue streams. Another player that lobbied for a role in the Canadian Energy Centre is CAP, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. CAP works with many organizations involved in the oil and gas extraction sector in Alberta. CAP lobbies and advocates for the sector, promoting the growth of the oil and gas industry. So given the mandate, CAP's participation in the Canadian Energy Centre is also problematic. This is an organization that exists to promote the oil sands industry, which thrives on having a positive image of oil and gas companies. This group certainly has a vested interest in discrediting environmental oppositions to the industry, even if it might require bending the truth. These groups are not a part of the Canadian Energy Centre as of now, although many of the employees are former Calgary Herald employees, which is a post-media newspaper. And I will point out, having looked at the website earlier today, that the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers is a source on some of, um, some of the findings that are presented on the website. Now, let's take a step back and look at the leadership of the Canadian Energy Centre. The Board of Directors is comprised of three individuals, Justice Minister Doug Schweizer, Environment and Parks Minister Jason Nixon, and Energy Minister Sonia Savage. Three provincial ministers, and yet the Canadian Energy Centre, as discussed, is not a provincial agency. Dave Klemenhaga and Dave Cornier discuss the way that the War Room aligns with the UCP campaign strategy. Uh, now, we, we, we know that uh, uh, Sonia Savage, the Energy Minister, Doug Schweitzer, the Justice Minister, and uh, Jason Nixon, my personal favorite Alberta politician, uh, <laughs> comprise the board of this private corporation. So this is a government-owned private corporation. This may be a, uh, what, what is it, an entity that's sui generis in Canadian history. I don't know. It's not, a, it's not they say, a crown corporation. It's a private corporation. But it's run by for the government, which raises a whole whack of interesting questions. That's all the time we have for this week's episode. But don't worry, we'll be back next week with the second half of this conversation, where we'll talk about the work that the Canadian Energy Centre does and the implications it has for environmental journalism.
Thanks for tuning in for part one of this deep dive on the Canadian Energy Centre. Terra Informa is entirely volunteer run and we survive because of generous donations to our host studio, CJSR 88.5 FM. Consider a donation to your local studio to keep stories like this on the air. We've been your hosts, Sonic Patel and Hannah Cunningham. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week right here on Terra Informa.